Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinSwift.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend. Tell family. Also, get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here. Truth and Rhythm shirts. Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also, want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. Good evening. Do not attempt to adjust your device. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special message. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. Welcome to station TIR, better known as Truth and Rhythm, with a very special giveaway. Sponsored by Modern Retro Radio at modernretrofm.com, you can win a free copy of Everything's on the One, the first guide of funk. Simply email info at funkandstuff.net with funk me in the subject line. Tell us what you love about Truth and Rhythm and include your mailing information. That's it, and your free book will be on its way. As a bonus, name the first guest ever to appear on Truth and Rhythm, and your book will be signed by the author. This is a limited time offer while supplies last. Thanks to Modern Ritual Radio and all of the TIR supporters. Now kick back and dig while we do it to your eardrums. And me, I'm known as Scott Wolfine, alias Dr. GX. And my motto is, keep on keep vibrating, on vibrating, vibrating to, the to the rhythm of the, of the, the wine. wine. I'm glad to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership singer, Janetta Boyce Warren, a member of Funk Powerhouse Zap, one of the most successful R&B groups of the 1980s. She also contributed to several other acts under the umbrella of band leader producer Roger Troutman, including his solo albums and those by Bobby Glover, The Human Body, Sugarfoot from the Ohio Players, and Shirley Murdoch. In recent years, along with other original band members, she's performed under the name Zap Anthology, 
continuing to bring revered favorites to fans like More Bounce to the Ounce, Dance Floor, Heartbreaker, I Can Make You Dance, Do I Diddy, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, and Computer Love. Those are certainly among my most beloved and favorite songs. Janetta, welcome. How are you? Hi, Scott. I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. I didn't realize my list was that long. <laughs> yeah, see? Very impressive. Okay. Yeah. So where are you coming to us from today? I'm coming from my home here in Dayton, Ohio. The land of funk, the funk capital, all that stuff. <laughs> Home yeah. of the Wright Brothers. Uh huh. National Cast Register. Dayton, Ohio. We share that Wright Brothers connection, you know, me being in North Carolina, so. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. First in flight. That's right. Uh huh. Um, so, how you been holding up this year? I mean, it's been so trying for all of us. Uh, how's it been going for you? It's been going pretty good. Um, it was different. You know, I had to be furloughed for like three months. Um, but it was good going back to work. And my husband had to be, well, he ended up working from home, so he's still working from home. Um, but the good thing was, you know, I was here with my children. My son was in college at the time. And when they first started, he was actually on spring break, and he um, came home and just stayed home. He's been home ever since, but he is back in school. He's just not out there at. Um, he was at Wilmington College here in Ohio, so he's closer to home now. So he can he can do everything online from home too. Yeah, well, hopefully in 2021, you know, we'll get back toward normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, I'm, I'm praying for it because yeah, a lover of music and. Being outside and all the concerts and plays and all that kind of stuff, I really missed it this year. Absolutely. But I saw a lot of stuff online now, and it's gotten me used to this. This what they got Zoom and something the other day. <laughs> all the live concerts online, so I'm getting used to it now. Yeah, people adjust, you know, and I think that we're going to end up finding a lot of good music coming out of this while people have been, you know, kind of sequestered and you know, forced to kind of go into the woodshed and, and come up with some new music, maybe. Right, right. You know. Like me, I've been in here working in the studio, my son's studio. You know, I had nothing else to do. It's a good thing, just convenient, just having it right here. When I can get up any time of night and say, hey, <laughs> put me a track on. Let's, let's go to work. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, thank goodness for technology, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So we were supposed to do this a couple of weeks ago, but you know I had my silly bike accident, and I'm still recovering here. So don't make me laugh too hard, Janetta, because uh, I might grimace. <laughs> yeah, we don't want any more broken ribs from you. Or you no. doing okay? Yeah, you know it's uh, kind of slow going. You know I get impatient, but uh, I got to really just take it easy for a while and ease yeah. back into things like I am with this right now. So. Older is harder to heal, too. Yeah, take it easy. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just trying to get some activity during this pandemic by getting out there and riding the bike, and then look what happens, you know? <laughs> I know. And when you told me that, it was so funny because I've been trying to do the same thing get out here on this trail. I'm like, I'm going to get my bike out. I'm getting out on the trail. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, well, just be okay. careful. Yeah. Everybody be careful out there, yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I've been a big fan, of course, since, you know, first hearing that incredible thump to more bounce to the ounce back in 1980 and followed, you know, we'll talk more about as we get into the questions, but I just wanted to say, you know, big fan from the get-go and uh, went to a lot of the shows in the early mid-80s and uh, so it's great to uh, finally sit down with you. I, I was in Los Angeles, that's where I used to live, so I saw all those tours when they came through. Every, You know, I didn't miss any of the funk when it came through. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we were always playing Long Beach Arena. Right. We were out in San Diego a lot. We actually, what, San Francisco, Cal Palace? So, oh, yeah, we stayed out there. Yep. Yeah, I enjoyed it for sure. Um, well, let's jump in, Janetta. We got a lot to talk about. And, um, you know, you're from Dayton, right? Originally? Yes. Uh huh. Originally from Dayton, yes. Yeah. So. What was it like uh, for you uh, growing up, and how did you gravitate toward music? You know, as a little girl, I would see all these fancy cars going up and down the street. Come to find out it was the Ohio Players, mm. you know, and uh, all these guys around here that was getting into the business and everything, and then just um, friends in school that were, we were all singing all the songs, you know, that were coming on the radio. And it's funny, one of my girlfriends that I was friends with, she said, let me, let me uh, go, go over here with me. I know Satch. And I said, you don't know Satch. She said, yeah. So we was watching, uh, what was it, Midnight Special or something like that. She said, I do know Satch. And sure enough, after school, we went over Satch's house. And that was the first time I saw the gold records and the, you know, the beautiful um stage and everything set up already in his house and everything and the beautiful uh what was it bentley's and you know the high-end cars and everything and i was just blown away i said we were we satchel's house <laughs> that's when i seen the, the the velvet curtains and the, the velvet covered bed the first round bed i ever seen i know people are like you saw satchel's bed yes i was with her who had a connection, you know, that I, I went to his house. And, and then uh, me and my friend, we just went to all the concerts, even at a young age. Um, and then I started singing at like five years old. I was singing in school choir, which led me to sing throughout, you know, elementary school and in high school. I was singing in like three different choirs at the same time. And then I started singing with um, local bands and stuff like that. And, Going to all their events, and back then it was the mobile concerts and everything, and you know the, the singing in the park. So I was just around music all the time, and then you know being a teenager, I started learning now. Uh, remembers of Slave and running to them at the high school events and all that kind of stuff. So I've always been surrounded by music, and my sister was a singer as well. And my sister had a three-girl group, you know, like the emotions. Mm -hmm. So that really got me started watching her. And then a lot of people from the neighborhood, um, from the community, uh, Lakeside, and all these different groups, platypus, they would come over to my house because they was trying to keep, court the girls. They was trying to see my sister because she was older than me. And so... I would see 
those people all the time. It wasn't nothing. I mean, they're sitting around singing all the time. My sisters is always playing music all the time. My big sisters playing Motown and uh, all that genre, and my brothers playing Isaac Hayes. And so I just was surrounded by music all the time. And then to have a, my other teenage friend, Marshall, who we would, like I said, ripping around into concerts and stuff all the time. And um, so I've, I've just been in music for a long time. I started singing with an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> Marshall and I and her mother, we became a group ourselves. And we started singing with background for Elvis and Perkinator. So we thought we was a sweet inspiration, part two. <laughs> so, you know, I'm back there singing Hunker Burning Love and In the Ghetto and all the great Elvis hits. I loved it. I loved it. I did, that was so much fun. Yeah, and that was while Elvis was still alive, right? No. It was after? Was he still alive? Yeah, late 70s, somewhere, I think. So I guess he was around that time. I guess he was still alive. Yeah. But yeah, we had fun doing that. We were, you know, we traveled throughout Ohio, you know, the surrounding area. Troy, Piqua, you know, Yellow Springs, singing the Elvis songs. And I enjoyed that. So that really got me singing. And then we went into the studio with this guy that we were singing for and so that was my first time being in the studio, and I guess I guess I was I was 16 at that time. Yeah, and then right after that, Larry and Roger heard about us, and they was like, well, "Who are these girls back here singing?" That we we're hearing about people were really talking about it. You know, the word was being out. And then next thing I know, we had a meeting with Larry and Roger, and they came over to my friend Marcel's house, and we auditioned right there in the living room. And it really wasn't even an audition. We just started singing Roger playing acoustic guitar, and we just went from there. What, did, <laughs> what, what did they say they were looking for when they auditioned you? I mean, were they looking for a certain number of, of female voices, or what were they looking for? Yeah, they really wanted all three of us, you know, and we went straight to United Sounds in Detroit, and we started working on the More Bounce album. And... Uh, Simultaneously working on uh, Roger. I think it was the first one, the many facets of Roger at the same time. We were so busy, and I had, you know, uh, rehearsals for my high school choir and stuff like that, and all the events that we had going on, singing in the malls and in the hospitals, <laughs> you know, the nursing homes, all that kind of stuff. So I was really busy as a teenager. I was really busy with music, and that's my first love. So I was loving it. I'm still singing. Well, so growing up in that environment, I can only imagine, dream of it because, you know, I'm listening to all that and buying all the records. And I've said this before, but for me, growing up in Los Angeles, you know, Dan, Ohio seemed like it was on the other side of the world. You know, I didn't know what it was or anything about that, but the Ohio Players were my first favorite group ever. And uh, so, you know, I always gravitated toward that, but just to... Uh, you know, be immersed in that environment just must have been mind-blowing, but maybe you kind of, it was kind of just, you know, commonplace for you. You're kind of used to it in a way. Um, yeah, just running into those people, you know, at the grocery store, at a department store, running into Sugarfoot in Walmart, you know. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it was around here. Wow. Um, 
we talked about this before, but what do you think it is about that area that, you know, was so fertile for this type of music and for funk? You know, I'm like, what was in the water here? Because they were just growing up like weeds, weren't they? Who back the group? <laughs> but these guys, you know, they were so talented and they, it, it's so funny, a lot of people tried to be like the Ohio players, so they kind of really set the foundation, you know? I even heard Ben Maurice's White book, and he said they even, you know, um, they tried to be like, Earth and Fire was trying to be like the Ohio players as well. So, you know, they set the platform. And then after that, L and, and we had the um, the Isley Brothers. I mean, music was just everywhere here in Ohio. Yeah. So when you first, do you remember first meeting the Troutman Brothers? And, and can you tell us kind of what your impressions were initially? As a young girl, too, meeting Roger for the first time. <laughs> you know, Roger was Roger. He was, you know, playing with us and everything. And he asked us to sing. And, you know, we all sung our little songs and everything. And, I, you know, looking at Larry standing off to the side. Didn't know at the time that's who the decision maker was. You know, he's standing there looking all mean. And we're like, oh, Lord. But we just, you know, did what we did. And they loved it. And each one of us sung the solo, you know. And I sung um, Got to Be Real and Best of My Love. And then when I got to United Sound, he called me to the room just to make sure. And he and I had a private session in the hotel room. And I sung, uh, Bet You By Golly Rock, Bet You By Golly Rock. Oh, the stylistic song, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I sung. And he was like, okay, girl, I hear you, I hear you. And that's when he was like, and you got range? So yeah, that's where it all began. And I, I, I yeah, I was kind of still fearful of Larry, first impressions. But then he, he softened up as well. He was he was he was nice. He, he could be nice when he wanted to. <laughs> okay. So I mean, I only know Roger mostly from seeing him perform and the records and all that. Um, what what was he like as uh, a person? And also, I mean, we know he was very talented, but seeing it up close, what was that like? You know, what you all saw in concert, basically on the stage, he was like that off stage, too. He was so hyper. He was so nice. He didn't meet any strangers. And especially if it was a musician, of course, he was going off and playing and, you know, talking about instruments and everything. And he actually did play over a dozen instruments. I mean, he would jump from one thing to the other. But his personality was just out of this world. He was, I mean, I don't even remember Roger being mean or being negative toward anybody. Um, he was so kind-hearted. He really was kind-hearted. He, uh, he would give you the shirt off his back. He really would. He was a nice person. So, you know. Hmm. What about in terms of uh, seeing him play in the studio and things like that. I mean, what was it like to kind of experience that up close? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I was in awe. <laughs> I tell you, in the studio, he was, you know, he was still laid back. He was still on 12, you know, drinking his coffee and, and making music. And I don't care if he was in a department store or in an elevator, he would always find something good in that music. And it could be country music, it could be classical music, he didn't care what it was. That He was just so into music, you know. Uh, he stayed at the board all the time. He slept in the studio most of the time. He was a workaholic. He really was. But to see him in action, um, it was extraordinary. I tell you, when I we were when we were doing the Chitlin Circuit, from time to time he, we would do the Star Spangled Banner, and the audience would just be in awe. They were in a daze. The guys, and then here I forgot that I was on stage too, and I was standing up there like a deer in headlights just staring at him. And I found myself crying on stage one time. And I was like, oh my God, what is, you know, it was, he was really, he, we didn't get to show that side of him much because when we were on tour, he had to be so commercialized and play all the hits. Whereas doing the Chitlin circuit, he could play, you know, top 40, any song that came to his head and, and you know, do things like that. We didn't get to do that much. Once we came up and that was overnight, we just stratified. We were just gone, just that fast. Uh, as soon as more bounce hit the radio, it was like, okay, we got a tour set up, and then we got another tour set up. So we went out with George Clinton and all that, you know. Yeah. Um, of course, I have the original vinyl still of these here <laughs> to show, you know. Of uh, that's yeah, it. I got them all here, but. Uh, you know, there's that one. That's it. Yeah, that went gold. Something sugar. Oh my goodness. Yeah, do it, Roger. Um, so, did you get did you get to meet uh, Bootsy and George and those guys? Oh, did I? <laughs> so while we're up at United Sound, yeah, I met the Peapunk Mob, and uh, we got into the studio, and I just, I don't know what was going on in there. I kind of, I was just taken aback. First of all, being a teenager and seeing, it, the studio was so dark. I didn't even know how they could work in there. And it was so smoky. <laughs> and they were talking this language. To me, they were like aliens. I couldn't understand. You know, they just had this people conversation or whatever they were, their communication. And I couldn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> they, 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 it's definitely called P-Funk Universe. You, you got to learn the language. So uh, Bootsy was talking to me. You know, I met everybody in the studio. Ray Davis, everybody was there. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> George Clinton, Bootsy had his glasses on in there and everything. It was wow. And then I met my girl, Malia Franklin, and uh, Jeanette, and who else was there? Uh, the Brides of Funkenstein and, and uh, Parlette, you know. Some of those girls were there doing background. So I, I went in there and did my thing. I, 
<laughs> it was great. That's what I got to go in there and sing with them. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, wow. That is quite an indoctrination. Yeah. Yeah, being in there with with all those people, that that those are legends in there. Yeah, that was great. You must have been like floating on air coming out of some of that. I was literally out of out of Yeah. But I was you know, I was basically dating this little little small town, little country town as far as I'm concerned. I was like, What in the world? They're doing that for real out here in the open and everybody can feel <laughs> Oh, but I wouldn't trade that moment for the world. No, no way. No. That's priceless. Yeah. Um, did did Malia or any of the other uh, women in P Funk give you any advice or talk to you much? Oh yeah, yeah. At that time, Malia kind of just took me under her wing, and because uh, yeah, I was I was green. You know, I was sitting down there kind of scared, I guess. <laughs> like, oh Lord, let me get this little girl. She, I didn't know what to do. She, she, you know, I felt comfortable going up there. I felt confident. I stood up there at that mic with them, and I was singing, you know. And that was, they was like, and Molly said, "Oh, baby girl, baby girl can go." She, then she started calling me baby girl, and she said, "Baby girl got range." You know, oh, I know who was in there. Jessica, Jessica Cleves was in there with us. Oh, uh huh. And I was singing, and that was that. You know, I, I felt good. I still feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. Jess, Jessica had a very unusual, distinctive voice. Mm hmm Yep. With that high range. Yeah. And I matched that range, too. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, when Malia heard that, she was like, oh, yeah. So I kept in touch with her. And after that, Malia ended up being, you know, with Zach. You know, coming into the studio with us, so I got to work with her side by side. I mean, and then on the road, they came out, and we, uh, I got the room with her and everything. It was, it was wonderful. Wow, I hear great things about her. I never got to meet her, but you know, I mean, there's so many accounts of not only her being just an amazing woman in person, but just the way she also helped bring so many people together. And she did. She really did. Yep, she brought me along too. <laughs> when when you were um, in the studio for those first a couple records, what was Roger doing most of the sort of directing, or did George Clinton do more? Did Bootsy do more? Or what what did you see that way? In Detroit, um, Roger was doing a Roger was doing his own thing. He knew what he wanted, but Bootsy was there, and George was there, and then. I guess really, and then when I kept going back, George wasn't anywhere around. It was then Roger and Larry and Bootsy, and then uh, then Bootsy kind of took a back seat too. Like when well, he got this, you know. So yeah, they went on about their way, and Roger kind of just did everything himself. Him and his engineer. And and Bootsy and Roger were pretty good friends, right? Or just more professional relationship, or they were real friends. No, I, they were real friends. They were real friends. Well, yeah. Hmm. And what I saw in the studio and stuff, and then later in the studio at uh, Fifth Floor Studio in Cincinnati, 
we were brown boots here all the time. Well, I would see him coming in and out of the studio, you know, so he'd stick around and see what we was doing it. You know, like that. Yeah. Sessions, everybody had sessions on the fifth floor. Then we started running into uh, even the players. They was, Then they moved. We all moved from Detroit to fifth floor studios in, in Cincinnati. And so then we run into the players. We run in the Bootsy session. After that session or before that session was uh, Midnight Star or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, people was constantly running in and out of the studio. Yeah. It was hot. <laughs> On fire, yeah. Um, no pun intended with the Ohio players. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed that fire cover back there. Oh, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Janetta, when uh, more bounce just took over the airwaves and exploded, you know, what were you thinking? What were you experiencing? What was the band? You know, obviously you guys had to go on the road, like you said, but I mean, what was the excitement level like? And and was there a surprise that it blew up as big as it did? You know, I was surprised because I didn't really know how far this was going to go. I think when I took this on, I don't know what I was thinking, but I... I guess I thought it was going to be more like I had been doing, just running around here, you know, singing in clubs and bars and dives and, you know, I don't know what I thought when I said yes. Uh, but Larry was like, well, do you want to come, you know, join us on the road? I said, sure. I thought he said, okay. He talked to my mother and my mother said, yeah, I trust you. I trust you with my daughter. I'm putting her in your hands. I, I, I'm putting her in your hands for you, for you to protect her and she can go with my permission. So more bounce started hitting the airwaves and I was still in high school so it didn't really dawn on me that that was us on the radio but I knew it was that and I, I just didn't think about it going as far as it did and then all of a sudden Be All Right was on the radio and the next thing I know Larry tells me uh, met people been asking about who's the singer on the on the albums. You ready for this? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then people in school were like, I heard you on the radio. And I was like, you did, okay. And then I would go home, and my mother was way more excited than I was about it. She was, oh, I'm on the radio. oh, be all right, on the radio. oh, my baby's on the radio. I, I still, it didn't click. It didn't click with me. I was still just, you know, just just being in school. And I didn't realize, you got to stop doing all the stuff you're doing. You can't even finish this. I couldn't even focus on school anymore because Larry's like, we got to go into rehearsal. It's time to go. And I mean, everything just went out so fast. The next thing I know, I was gone on the road with all these guys, 10 band members, the only girl in the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. It was wild. Wow. It was and, wild, though. What? Nothing, but I wasn't wild, though. You behaved yourself, huh? I was still a little timid, you know, because I was bashful. I am, And I'm still bashful. I'm very bashful, believe it or not. I know. Why did I choose to do this and to be as bashful as I am? But... I just maybe I thought it was gonna bring me out of my shell so I can move out there forward and do things even more and on my own and be a front singer. But I, I just didn't do it. Hmm. But I love stage. I love the stage. 
Well, ironically, it seems like, I mean, a lot of really good performers are pretty shy off stage, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the stage is a real outlet, you know? I guess so. Once you get out there, you don't have any other choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trial by fire. Yeah. Um, do you remember the very first performance? The very first performance, where was that at? We were on P-Funk's tour. I tell you what I do remember about that tour. I don't know if that was the very first show, but we went to, where were we at? I, it might have even been Detroit since we were, you know, um, opening for P-Funk and, and being introduced to the world. And on that show was, everybody was there, matter of fact. No, it wasn't Detroit. It was New York. It was in a in a place in New York because uh, Sheik, um, Ma Rogers, and Bernard was there, and Shaka Khan was there. I mean, everybody was there. And so this particular night, after I show and everybody loved us, um, Sly Stone was there, and Sly Stone, Roger, and Bootsy was on stage together. Wow. I will never forget that show. It was amazing to see all of them up there, and the crowd just went berserk. Yeah, that that, and then that was the show. Cause then backstage, um, in our dressing room was um, Larry Graham and Chocolate. Wow. Treat. <laughs> and she stopped me, and she talked to me, and she said, "Girl." She kind of had that same reaction Mally I had. She's like, girl, baby girl, you out there doing your thing. And she said, you admire me. She said, I'm watching you. You keep on doing what you're doing. And that, oh, my head just swelled all <laughs> Coming from somebody like her. And then to meet all these ladies that I listened to, because I thought I was the one singing on, your love means so much to me, girl. I thought that was me. <laughs> yeah, I just loved her so much. I was like, God, I'm, I'm out here with these people that I've been listening to their records all these years. It was great. I, I love Patrice, too. Yeah. You know, um, it was a real kick for me when I got her on the phone. She did this show a while back. And when I got her on the phone for the first time, and just to hear her say chocolate, you know, it was just like, whoa, that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say it like that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, so did you get to meet Shaka? Of course. Yes. Oh, so we, we did a few shows with her, too. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. It, but it was fun. Yeah, of course, man, to meet her, because, man, I'm a huge Rufus fan. So I, you know, I went way back with her too. So yeah, I, again, I was so stunned, you know, like <laughs> meeting these people and meeting her. She was nice. She was cool. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I know early on, uh, Roger did some shows, or Zap and Roger did some shows uh, with Prince. Even Do you, were you part of that too? Yeah. Uh, what tour was that? We went on. We went on two tours with him. One of them I remember was the Controversy tour. We went on that very first leg with him too when he came out because Vanity Six wasn't even really Vanity Six, I guess, at the time. And but they were there, 
and they were back there just doing stage hand stuff for the group I guess. And then, then it was Zap and the Time and Prince. Yep, sure was. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that was a show. And meeting Prince, you know, and seeing him every day and talking to him just like I'm talking to you. You know, that that's pretty special. Because that was before he got real huge and wouldn't talk to nobody and you couldn't look at him and <laughs> you couldn't take pictures with him and all that kind of stuff later. But we would hang out with Prince and the band in the time and we would go to clubs and stuff afterwards and stuff. We had we had big fun. Even though we got in trouble for going. <laughs> we got fined for going with them, but we didn't care. We were gonna take that fine because we were out hanging out with Prince. That was fun, going to clubs, dancing and having fun with those guys. Jesse and Jelly Bean and Terry and all those people. Oh yeah, it was great. Great. Wow, the cla the original classic time lineup and uh, that Prince and uh, Roger show that definitely that did not come to Los Angeles because I would have definitely been at that one. I because I saw you know Roger when he did his shows and I saw Prince when he did his during that era, and I don't think that tour came to Los Angeles. But really? uh, I think you're right because when we were in Los Angeles by that time we were we were playing with Rick James. Mm-hmm. But, but but Prince came to the show. Um, he came right on to our dressing room. He was cool like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sure. Everybody was at that show. I think Jane Fonda and Mr. T and <laughs> it was a lot of people at that show. Do you remember was that the one at Long Beach Arena? Yeah, that was Long Beach. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Went to so many at that at that place. Um, when when these two records were done, though, Janetta, um, do you know if uh, it was decided, like when it was being created, like which songs would go on Rogers and which songs would go on Zap? You know, how did they decide? I don't know. All I know, yeah, I was in there singing uh, tunes from both of the, the CD, oh, the CDs, both of the albums. And I didn't realize because I'm in there singing, do it, do it, Roger, do it. And it ended up on Roger's album. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. You know, now that I think of it, that makes sense. But I was doing, we were doing it all at the same time, so I didn't know. I didn't even know we were working on a Roger album. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. I didn't know they were two separate albums. So, yeah, I ain't know nothing about that. Yeah, I mean, even for me as a fan at the time, it was kind of you know curious, you know, how that was decided because the sound was virtually the same, you know, and and the same people and you know, yeah. And I don't even know when they decided to do that, you know, to be kind of separate, trying to be like Parliament Funkadelic, you know. Yeah, we were trying to be like Funk Mom, I guess. But it worked out really good. You know, because Roger should have been doing his own thing. And as we went out to the world, we came out as Zap. We were Zap. It wasn't an individual. It wasn't about Roger. Sure, Roger was the leader of the group. But we were Zap. Everybody in the band was Zap. And then, like you said, then we had the solo thing, which was Roger. But on the show, it wasn't separated. And then later we started calling it Zach featuring Roger, you know, 
so people would know that he was there, you know. But yeah. For people who never got to see it, you know, that show uh, was so exciting in the beginning because, you know, Roger would come in from the back on the shoulders of the bouncers and playing his guitar. You would hear the guitar and you're like, where's that coming from, you know? And then the spotlight would go on, on him back there and he would be coming in from the back. And um, was that like something that was right at the very first shows or did that get introduced at some point? No, we brought that along later. Yeah. And when we started doing that, oh my God, we would be on stage so long waiting for him to get up on that stage. Because <laughs> we got people now pulling at him and, you know, at first it started on somebody's shoulders and then it went to a little chariot thing. Did you did you see that one? Where it finally being a little platform we brought him out on and everything. Playing his guitar, he was standing up and it was the lighted guitar and everything. I don't know if I saw that. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, it started getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and then he would, would have on the lighted suit and everything. Yeah, and we were still upstairs, still on stage for I don't know what happened. You know it seemed long to us, even though it really wasn't probably that long. But we were standing up there, do it, do it, Roger, do it, do it, do it, Roger, do it. All <laughs> oh, the band was tired by the time he got up on stage, and now he's all hyped and jumping up and down like he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. He was the entertainer, I'll tell you. Yeah. By the time he got up there, there's horns. <laughs> Everybody was tired. What was he? Uh, what were the rehearsals like? Was he a taskmaster or or what? Oh God, I have the rehearsals. We rehearsed from eight in the morning to seven, eight, nine, sometimes midnight. Oh God, yeah, it was crucial. We hated, we, we didn't like our, you know, rehearsals. We're like, come on, this is too much. I mean, we know. And then, and then on top of that, when we got to our concerts or to our hotels, you know, for the next concert, we would, um, we would practice or rehearse. We would find a spot somewhere in the hotel in a vacant room. We'd ask, you know, the room to do And we would rehearse some more. We rehearsed all the time. We rehearsed in advance. You couldn't get no sleep past the time. You had to listen to the show back because we recorded the shows, you know. Cassettes back then. <laughs> we recorded the shows. We listened to the shows constantly. People took tapes home and listened to them. So it was constant rehearsal. We, we, we rehearsed from sun up to sundown. Put it that way. You know, we, we were good to get out of there sometimes at 5 o'clock in the evening. And Roger wasn't always there, see. Roger would be still in the Roger would be in the studio and then we put the show together and then he would come and just go through the show with us, like, Well y'all show me what y'all got. And and then he joined in with us. And how how aware were you of the um, sort of falling out that happened with Roger and the that first record and George Clinton's company and that whole kind of mess that happened. You know, the funny thing about that, I didn't even know he about that until later. And I'm like, ooh, what? You were supposed to be on Uncle Jam Records? That? You know, I didn't pay attention to all that. I was living in the moment. 
and just doing what I was supposed to do instead of getting in people's business. But then I heard later about the so-called carrying the tapes out and stealing the tapes from the studio and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. And that's so out of character. That doesn't seem like Roger to me. Well, maybe, was that more of a Larry thing, maybe? <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's who the mastermind behind that was. Yeah, I was stealing things. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, went, I don't know. I, went, I wasn't no part of that. So. Yeah. Well, it's it's that in a book. <laughs> right. It certainly worked out for uh, for Roger and Zap, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the hits kept coming, you know, and uh, the Zap 2 and, yeah, we got oh. that here, too. And there's the, that cool picture on the back. Oh yeah, <laughs> there I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, dance floor playing kind of rough. Do I diddy? Um, I mean, did you realize at that point how much it was just gonna continue on and just keep rolling out hits and and million sellers and? Yeah, at that point I thought it was gonna happen because well, I mean when we hit it, we hit those Coliseums and. In stadiums and arenas, then it was like the Jacksons or something. You know, people are like, ah! as soon as we get out the vans. Now, mind you, we had vans. We didn't have no buses. At a being on tour, a whole year or two, we still didn't have no buses. Year two or three year, we didn't have a bus. And we would jump out these buses, and people were like, why are we all in the van? I mean, we would jump out the vans. People were like, why are we all in the van? And we were like, why are we in the van? But anyway. <laughs> Because we were balling there, we were making the money, and we was just on everybody's top of everybody's list. Everybody, we were in demand. I mean, we was out with everybody, and then after that, we got on tour with the Commodores. That was our second tour with the Commodores, and we got with the Commodores, and we thought we were living life. You know, we thought we had arrived, and so that just showed. Then we started seeing the levels of the tours and how well the promoters take care of you going from cold cuts in the restroom to really have hot food in the restroom. <laughs> you know, on the Commodore's tour, you know, we ate just like Commodore did. They had roast beef and steak. That's what we had. Mashed potatoes and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the first tour, we had cold cuts. In the <laughs> <laughs> Moving up in the world big time. Moving up in the world. The hotels got better and everything. So we, we went from the little days in in the Super 8s to the Hilton's and the Heights and the Holiday Inn. That's a long way from the Chitlin circuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. We went from there, from the Commodores to touring with Gladys Knight and the Pits, and then I was just in awe again because that's my favorite singer. I just love Gladys Knight. You know, as a little girl, seeing mm -hmm. something be on TV, it was like, oh. Yeah, I just love her, and I've been a fan of her every day, you know, and then to meet her, and I mean, she was the kindest person, her and her family, I mean, Bubba and, and all the rest of them, they were just so kind and, and loving and Southern, you know, that Southern hospitality, and um, I now I call her Auntie Gladys, because she just kind of took me under her wing, too, you know, oh, baby, oh, baby. <laughs> Y'all leave that baby alone. That good, you know. It was just beautiful. It was just a beautiful thing to meet her and just so many others, you know. And every time we played with, we didn't get to play with Patty Lavelle. 
Patty, every time we did the cool jazz or something, Patty LaBelle was there either the night before us or the night after us. Mm. So that was about the only one because after that I just met all the people that I just, you know, played their music all the time. It was great. <laughs> did you see they had that uh, Instagram thing with uh, Patty against Gladys? Yes, wasn't that beautiful? That was just a friendship. That was in a battle. That was just a true friendship of friends sitting there singing songs together. Yeah, I'm I'm a Gladys guy myself. I posted that online, so I was you know happy with the the way it turned out. But uh, you know, Patty's Patty. She's fine too. But um, Gladys yeah. is just really something yeah. special for me. You know. Yeah, for me too. And I just saw her probably last year, or uh, right here in Dayton. And I mean, I said that audience and cried because I was just like, look at her at 70 something years old still doing this. Mm -hmm. And she looks amazing and she sounds just as good as she did then. And Patty sounds good too. I haven't seen Patty in a while though. But though Gladys and Shaka Card did it for me. Yeah. Yeah, I was a Shaka fan. Yeah, I was a Rufus fan. Oh, I loved uh, Shaka as my number one. But I also like Tina Marie too, uh, quite a bit. Oh, stop the madness! That's my that's my girl. So my top <laughs> was Gladys, Shaka, Tina Marie, and then Whitney Houston. And who after that? It's just so many of them. Yeah. But I love Miss Tina Marie. Oh, everybody that knows me like. This girl, Tina Marie, she is just Tina Marie crazy. Did you meet? Did you meet her? I finally met her, and I didn't meet her when I was on the road, but I met her when she came here the day before concert. And my good friend, when I was working at the radio station, he said, "Oh, girl, you are not gonna believe who was in the studio." And he just snatched me up. His name was Bobby Blunt. I'll never forget it. He just snatched me up, he got off the elevator, and he just pushed me in the room, and there was Tina Marie in the room. And I was like, oh my God! And I hugged her and I stepped back and I started singing to her. I started singing one of, I don't know, I started singing to her one of her songs. And she's like, girl, get out of here! And she was just in awe. She was like, oh my God! But yeah, that was amazing. And I kept telling myself, I'm going to see her concert. And that concert got canceled that night because she came here. So I'm glad I met her in the studio that day. For whatever reason, it was at a club. And I don't know if it was something with her family, but anyway, she had to leave and she didn't do the show. And then I kept telling my husband, I am going to see Tina before she dies. And I don't know, I said that and I kind of put that out there. And I saw her in 2010 in June or July. She died then. And I just felt like, damn, did I put that in the atmosphere like that? Because I said, I want to see Tina. Will something happen? Because that's how huge a fan I was, and I never got to see her concert. And boy, I stood up at that concert. Hi, Tina, I'm here. I'm here. Like, like she could hear me. <laughs> the people on the stands looking at her, looking at me like, girl. I'm like, that is my Tina. I don't know what you're talking about. I am here for Tina. I don't care who else is on the show. I'm here to Tina. And I am still that way today. On my playlist is Tina Marie. Right now, Tina Marie, the emotions, shock upon. I listen to the same old people all the time. <laughs> I got a little bit out. Now I'm listening to her, 
and what is it, Gary Lennox and some of these new people that are out there today. Those those are the ones I'm listening to. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but this here kept coming with Zap three and yeah. Heartbreak this this might have been my favorite because Heartbreaker and uh, I Can Make You Dance, um, Do I Diddy Live. I mean, there was like, you know, every one of them had like at least one monster dance floor hardcore funk jam. But this one had like two of them. So. Yeah, I like that one. Was um, the bump on that one too? I think so. I forget. Which, which one? Spend my whole life. Look at me, I turn around and see myself. I'm sorry, I couldn't make out. Spend my whole life in the butt. Be cool. Yeah, me. spend my whole life. Yep. I like that album too. Yeah. I, I, just, I really like that album. And then I can make you dance. Make you dance. Yeah. Yeah. I had a story behind Make You Dance. We was in the fifth floor studio. And we had rehearsed so much in the studio. And we were recording. But it seemed like we recorded um, I Can Make You Dance all night long. And then that, you know, we kept, oh, he, Roger kept throwing the kitchen sink in there. And it was like, okay, now, do you know what? Mm, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. And let's do that. And I'm like, we can't even hear half the vocals in the, especially as the song was done. I was like, we can't even hear half the vocals we put on there. But I had a meltdown. <laughs> That's how hard we were working. And the song was great. As it was. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, Ned, I want you to do one more thing. And I said, okay, Roger. You know, and he said, I want you to do it. And then you can hear that very, very low in the background. So I'm like, you know, so that wasn't even that. And I think it was like 3 a.m. I got so fed up. And he was still sitting there thinking of more things to do with this song. So, you know, that's an overproducer. And I, uh, I threw the head- headphones off and I stormed out. Got on that elevator. I was gone. I got on 75 and I was driving back to Dayton. I was mad. And I was, then I started thinking, oh, Lord, Larry going to fire me in a moment. And then the next day, I didn't get a call from Larry. I just heard they say, hey, you know, we got a studio session at 6 o'clock here. I drove back to Cincinnati, got in the studio, and I was just waiting. And Larry came, too, so that's why Larry came. He said, you know what, guys, I want to apologize to y'all. Because y'all, you know, you all had just come from rehearsal, and then you come into the studio. Yeah, we had just rehearsed all day. And then you come into the studio. And um, we were very inconsiderate. And, you know, I want to apologize. And you all go ahead and take, take off. You can take off. And, you know, do a little bit tonight and you can take off. So, yeah, my tantrum actually set that up. But I was ready to be fired. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to fire me. But he didn't. He was understanding. He told me that. I'm sorry about so we had something to eat, come on back here, let's finish this, and then we're going to go home. And so after that, I think they tried to start making time limits. Like, okay, y'all, we got to be at the studio by midnight, at least one o'clock. And we can't keep people here 
all day and all night, and then they got to be in rehearsal at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you get out of the studio at 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> we over. Everything that did was just over the time. Well, they're like, we can't have Janetta doing that again. We got to change this up. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want her freaking out. I'm not thinking about the shirt. All right. <laughs> um, and you met your husband through the group, right? Yeah, Michael K. Warren. That's He's actually from uh, Lincoln Heights, Ohio. But, you know, they always say, he's from Cincinnati. And um, Mike came afterwards, but he came in as an addition to that. Um, but he came on early on, I guess it was about 81, 82, something like that. And he really changed the dynamics with the sound because he's the one that's on Heartbreaker. You know, and, and all the other, when the song got to be big horns, you can tell the difference because Mike brought the pow to it. Is that out? <laughs> but he's, um, yeah, he's, Mike was, um, when I met Mike, it was so funny. I was seeing Mike at the clubs and stuff around Cincinnati. And actually, I saw him at Gucci's birthday party in Cincinnati. I'm like, oh, where's that guy I seen earlier? And, you know, then the next night I see him again. I'm like, where that dude I seen, you know, last night at Gucci's party? And then I go into the studio at fifth floor, and there he is again. I'm like, oh, oh that's not that dude again. That's what that Mike do. And Michael was in the studio with Bootsy, uh, working on um, the count. Oh, yeah, the one giveth. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was working on that album with them. I looked in there and looked with Kush um, and Larry Hatcher and. Uh, Maceo in there too. It was the, the funk horns, you know. I was like, oh shoot, there's that Michael Warren again. Didn't think nothing about it. Got to re that was on a weekend. So that Monday when I got to rehearsal, there was Michael Warren. He was <laughs> with that. He enjoyed that. Now I had just heard he had just did some work with the Ohio players and other people. And I'm like, God, that guy. So um, yeah, he came in, um, our other horn player, Jerome Derrickson, and him knew each other. And kind of all those guys worked along each other in, uh, in Cincinnati, you know, and the, their local bands, and like Greg Jackson and all of them, you know, they all kind of ran in the same circles. And uh, who was it? The Callaway Brothers and everybody. They all went to school together and everything. So they, 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 that funk just tied in right there. So Michael ended up joining us and going out on the road. And then he and I was friends, you know, in the band for all those years. And we definitely wasn't thinking about, you know, being romantic. <laughs> you know, I always kind of a playboy, you know, being on the road. Mike had all the women in the world. And so I wasn't looking at him like that at all. And everybody was like, was kind of shocked too. They was like, oh man. But y'all should be together because y'all been together a long time. Every time I see y'all, y'all together. Y'all are so cute together. <laughs> and Michael was like, mm hmm. And I was like, yeah, right. But yeah, we ended, <laughs> we ended up getting together in like 85, 84, 85. And then we got married in 1990. Wow, congratulations. Yeah.
Thank you.